been doing this it's episode 22 and i'm your host sunny phono yeah keeping it with the musician thing this week's guest i I don't know why i say this week because i release these episodes so kind of infrequently even though i'm back on my friday thing i took some time off so this episode's guest is tim felton and if you're in san diego San Diego music scene, you may be familiar with Tim Felton's work with the Surefire Soul Ensemble. Um, really good dude. We've been friends on social media, I think, through the music scene for the last few years. I've seen him play before we were acquainted on social media. Um, haven't really had a chance to catch him since. But uh, he's a really cool dude. Very talented. He's also a sound engineer. He's worked in radio. Our lives kind of uh, run concurrent, although they never really overlapped in our interests and stuff like that. I was definitely trying to crack a geek egg, but he was just kind of like, oh, hmm? yeah. So it was fun, though. I enjoyed talking to dude. Um, yeah, man, it's, it's cool. I'm just doing this musician thing lately because I've been listening to a lot of different music, and I just kind of want to get people who you might not already know about to be heard so this is a chance for you to check out their kind of quick backstory and then go digging on your own but as i always do with musicians episodes is i lead in with a song and i lead out with a song and both of the songs are going to be from the shore fire soul ensembles um band camp that i just went and bought the tunes The first one going in is their version of Impeach the President. And then after the interview, I'm going to play their tune called Burning Bridges. So quick ramble from me. I think you can hear some construction or something in the background. Don't really matter because this is a podcast recorded in an apartment all the way live from Portland, Oregon. Uh, If you're around San Francisco, March 27th, I'm popping up at Madrone Art Bar. That's March 27th, 2021. So the people who are far away in the future hear this, don't come. But if it's if you're still in the year 2021 and you're in San Francisco and it's before March 27th, put it down on the calendar. I'm going to pop up with some t-shirts, some other shit. It's going to be fun. We're just going to hang out in front of the bar with masks on, make eye contact with a bunch of people that I love. And try to get them to buy shit from me. Yeah, I've been doing this. Episode 22. Much love.
All right, welcome back to Been Doing This. It's episode 23. I'm your host, Sonny Fono, and joining me today is a an organist, a keyboardist, a musician based in San Diego. You may be familiar with his work with the Surefire Soul Orchestra, is that correct? Ensemble, yes. Ensemble, and uh, he's got all kinds of, he's got his hands in all kinds of different projects all over San Diego. He's an adjunct faculty member at San Diego City College. And he's also a sound engineer, which is something that we have in common, even though I'm more of on the live side. Uh, it's a multi-talented and multifaceted Tim Felton. How's it going, Tim? It's going going pretty good. Thanks, thanks for having me on. Yeah, man, I appreciate it. So um, you, you're playing music down in San Diego. Are you originally from San Diego? I'm from uh, Glendora, which is up in L.A. County on the east side of the county. And when did you, I, I've come across you before we've been, we've been social media friends for a few years and uh, yeah. I've, I've seen you play before we had, we've never met in person, but I've seen you play um, with Shorefire oh, okay. and, and whatnot. But when, when did you move to San Diego? Uh, 97. And were you, we, we, so we'll just go all the way back and, and did you grow up in a musical family or how did you get into piano and keyboards and eventually organ? I think, I think my mom had heard that uh, piano lessons was good for your math skills. So she was a teacher and she wanted me to be a good student. So I think that was the reason that I got enrolled in piano lessons when I was seven. And I just, I really liked music, really liked practicing the piano. So it just kind of stuck and went from there. And it was classic right away. Were were you hearing stuff in pop music that translated where you're like, oh, I could do that too? Or no, it wasn't so much. I I, I was doing classical music and you know, to tell the tell the truth, it wasn't really all that inspiring. So I ended up quitting piano when I was 12 or 13. And then it was actually hearing the keyboards in Beastie Boys and other hip hop that kind of drew me back in. Oh, so like, <clears throat> excuse me. So like money mark. Yeah. And exactly. that kind of stuff. And then you were like, oh, wait, I, I already have an understanding of how this works. And yeah. He, hearing it was, and it was, yeah, specifically Mark's keyboard repair album, all the different keyboard sounds. And um, also that, that uh, Dr. Octagon uh, album oh. that, that Dan Automator produced that and, and, and some of DJ Shadow's stuff. That stuff kind of all pulled me in and I bought uh, a keyboard and a turntable and a cassette four track and, and just started recording beats. What did you have a moniker that you went by? Uh, what, what was it? It was like timeless DJ timeless or something. <laughs> That's rad. Are you still proud of those demos? Are they still, are they still out in the world or do you they, still have the really, four tracks? I, th I think, no, I, I don't have the, the cassettes. I think I put some of them up on SoundCloud. I'll have, I'd have to look. But it might it might be more newer stuff. The the older stuff was real, real funny. <laughs> but it was <laughs> good. It. You, you got to go through that stuff to kind of like, just you know, you know, it is just got to learn and and yeah. Were you stuff. were you gathering drums off, just straight off of your keyboard? Were they like the built in, or were you pulling samples into a machine? Like, how um, were you getting like the drums to to lay down on, onto the four track? At first, the drums were off of the, the Roland keyboard, and then I bought a Boss drum machine, and then eventually got a Korg Electribe sampler. Wow, man, that's that's so cool. That's so. The last few episodes that I've had with musicians, they've kind of come at me like from because the way that you play now and the stuff that you're doing now is is very much more in a tradition, right? Um, kind of yeah. jazz organ stuff and. You know, so to hear that it was like keyboard money, Mark and the Beastie Boys that drew you in. Um, I have a, I had a cumbia artist on, and he was like, "Oh, I was listening to Thievery Corporation and stuff." I was like, "Oh, what?" <laughs> like, and he's doing like straight ahead cumbia stuff. So it was, it was real interesting to uh, have that kind of come around that circle. So you moved down to San Diego with this equipment. Was this like college years? No, I. I got the equipment after a couple, I think it was two, after a year or so, because I came to San Diego, I was playing drums. I brought my, my drum kit with me and put it in my, my dorm room at SDSU. And I was playing like punk music. I was into like early hardcore minor threat 
Dead Kennedys, um, and some of the more modern groups like this group, uh, DFL, which had a Beastie Boys affiliation to it. Yeah, DFL came out. Um, were they on Revelation Records, the, the first one? And then... It was uh, Grand, Grand Royal. Oh, it was on the Grand Royal. Okay, yeah. But, so uh, DJ Unite, who I think you're familiar with, yeah um he and i grew up together and we were always digging that stuff out and we we were like soma rats we would be in the old soma live in the downtown and then i mean i spent pretty much any allowance or money that i made on like concert tickets so i was always going to shows like it, it didn't even really matter what it was i was like i'm gonna go to shows and stuff so nice oh yeah i turned into a jazz head because i had an old clock radio and I would listen to Jazz 88.3 out of City College um, to wake up to go to high school and stuff. And then uh, I started hearing Tribe Called Quest and all these, and then Guru's Jazzmatazz and stuff. And I was like, oh, wait, you know, who are these guys? I'd hear these samples and then I'd go and try to find the original records and stuff. And I started like really geeking out. And then they would do free concerts on thursdays i think in the auditorium okay. at city and that was like my cheap date so because i was kind of i was i was just trying to be a cheap date so i'd be like oh let's go check out this jazz show you know nice. go, go get a burrito or something so i started getting really kind of into jazz stuff at that point um you're playing punk rock how, how did you end up evolving into the, doing what you're playing now does it just kind of like i guess it was I guess it was just listening to that music, you know, I was, I was a skateboarder too. So, you know, watching those 411 videos, they got all the good hip hop on there and uh, just kind of, you know, dicking around on the keyboard and the turntable and the sampler and just kind of feeling it out. And then like, you know, meeting people, other people that were making beats or, or that were DJing who would introduce me into the kind of records I, I'd find drum breaks on or the kind of records I'd find cool samples on stuff like that and were you playing with any outfits down there doing that stuff or were you playing out playing that stuff out because we were doing hip-hop shows around san diego around that time oh um, no i i was i was in the cave i i just uh was doing it for myself i'd, I'd play like house parties of friends and haul all my analog equipment over there set it all up and <laughs> play play my live beats and then like solo over the top it was real it was real low key. yeah and then you went to school did you go to san diego state for music eventually it took it took me a while to kind of figure out what i was doing but yeah i, I ended up getting a music degree and then audio engineering kind of just came along with that so is that studio your studio engineer as well yeah and that was all part of the same curriculum for you you kind of like just yeah, I took I took the recording classes at state and at and at Mesa College. And yeah, just, you know, over the over the course of the last 22 years just like keep buying stuff, keep it, being inspired by people. Eventually people hire you to do stuff and you get more money to buy more stuff and it just <laughs> it just builds up. So what what was your first band playing keep just playing keyboards as you're kind of evolving into um i guess i mean you're a keyboard player i i don't know if you, yeah. you you're listed as an organist on some some sites i i was uh snooping around and stuff um uh, but i think you probably just consider yourself a, a player engineer yeah i i had a, a band called stop paving roads which was like a trip-hop group trying to emulate DJ Shadow and like the, the Uncle Project and Portishead, you know. So that's kind of where where I started playing live was was that kind of music. And um, yeah, so you, the, yeah, it's just really interesting to to go from from that to to where you got to. So you, so you get out of state and are you just working as a? Did you get a job as a studio engineer? Like what 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 were you doing? on top of gigs because i know as a performer that it's hard if not almost impossible to you know make a living just doing music so what, oh yeah for sure what, what kind of hustles were you involved in early on 
pizza delivery, uh, flower delivery. I worked for a great florist uh, down in Ocean Beach, and we did all the the hotel centerpieces. So that was like a work a workout too. Um, and then eventually, when I was 26, I got a job at KPBS, uh, the radio and TV station at at that's at SDSU. And um, from from there, but at the same time, I was I was working on records for people and and you know, but not really getting great money doing that. And started gigging, I guess, around that time too, age 25, 26. And that's all in the late 90s. Not, that not, to, not to age you or anything, but I was just kind of trying no, to that, figure that, out. That would have been like mid 2000s by that point. Okay. And then did you find it hard to kind of break in? Because the, the local kind of jazz scene, I guess. I had moved away in 2001, but in the late nineties, it was, um, Charles McPherson, who I think is still doing it. And I would go to Karochi's and just see guys playing and, and stuff like that. But it, it wasn't like there was a giant audience for that kind of stuff. There would be shows at Humphreys every now and again, um, as far as the local scene goes. And then gray boy came through but they kind of had more of a, hard funk thing with the gray boy all-stars right um were you finding yourself crossing paths with 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 that scene was it kind of hard to break into it or was it kind of easier because there aren't as many players there um it it took me a little bit there's a there's a great drummer who who we both know uh jake nager he kind of brought me in to the scene and whipped my whipped my butt musically on a bunch of the Kind of standard tunes a lot of them that, that the gray boy all-stars have been playing for a long time just like standards of the of the soul jazz and early funk repertoire like like some root down and uh early cool the gang stuff grant green and so i just got schooled on schooled on all that by jake and i started playing with some other guys who were in a group called price of dope they had a new band called pocket and i was playing in, played in that group for a little bit and um of course was you know, hugely influenced by Robert Walter of the Great Boy All Stars, and you know that that band in general. So yeah, it was really Jake that brought me in, and from there, just you know, worked worked hard and met other people. And were you doing hired gun stuff, or were you just kind of playing when you could play, hustling, doing the radio station thing, sound engineering? I mean, it's there's so many things going on, then just jamming when you can jam or have you been working on like when did you start really focusing on writing your own stuff and and working on that like where in that timeline were you like okay i'm gonna sit down and actually put out a record with a band and and also do you arrange a lot of a lot of the surefire stuff or is it collaborative it yeah it's a it's a mix um i do i start a lot of the the tunes in ableton uh, like get the grooves going basically the whole rhythm section with like sampled drums and i write the the bass drum or the other bass keys and the guitar rhythm guitar parts but you know sometimes we'll pull it back and let everyone else get in on it um the horn players usually write the the horn melodies so yeah it's it's collaborative for sure but it just depends tune to tune and when when did you guys when, when did you form that band and and start putting out a record in that outfit surefire kind of the tunes for that came together while i was playing with with jake we had various like four or five piece projects that we would try and you know just get these restaurant gigs like 50 to 100 dollar man gigs that we were doing and i started digging the stuff that was on daptone i had heard like l michael's l michael's affair and uh menahan street band and of course uh, sharon jones and the dap king so i was digging that that bigger sound you know like that eight or nine ten piece band sound so i started kind of writing that music and the and the first surefire album um most of it was written by by me and and one other uh, sax flute player named uh, chris lee wow man that's that's yeah that that whole that whole sound was like when daptone came out with 
those records, I, I was really blown away. Even Budo's band stuff, um, which yeah. they're kind of more of a, I kind of can see in them live, like their records are like one thing, right? But it's kind of like half of Antibalas, so, or like the rhythm section of Antibalas pretty much, but they're kind of like a heavy metal band live, the Budo's band. Yeah, it's um, like it's like Sabbath meets Fela. <laughs> yeah, it's it's really interesting. I I like the first time I went to see them, I was like, oh my, this is a rock show. This isn't this is like a heavy metal show. But but also if you've seen P Funk live lately, um mm-hmm. they're straight up doing heavy metal, like for more than half of the set. <laughs> they're they're like it's like funk, but then they're rocking. They're like doing like hard rock shit. So yeah, yeah, definitely. It's, it's interesting how it all kind of intersects. And and for me, just as a music nerd, I kind of can see and 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 working as a working DJ, I can see how you can um, tie different genres together to where it's all just really music, you know, and get a crowd reaction from doing a bunch of different stuff all at once. Um, so you kind of went. I would say a roundabout way to being someone who's jamming on a, on a B3 with like a Leslie. Right. So when was the first time you got to sit down to an actual organ like that and work on a Leslie and, and play it? And what, how different was that from kind of working electric keyboards or motifs or Rollins or what you prefer as far as gear goes? Sure. I remember being intimidated because we were going into a real studio that had one. And I, I'd already had like a Rhodes and a, a clavinet and a, and a Whirly, but but I didn't. I definitely didn't have a Hammond organ with a Leslie. So yeah, we went in there and there was this engineer Ben Moore. And he's like, "Do you know how to work it?" I was like, "Uh, not really." <laughs> <laughs> and he kind of he kind of showed me. Um, I I'd, I'd had like the Hammond clone one, which you know has similar uh levers and buttons on it but it's not the same thing at all so yeah the first time was at a studio in san diego and we were recording the tape which i was excited about too um because after i dumped the the cassette four track i was digital for a while and not really digging the sounds i was getting so much sure oh man so do you still have your Fender, the Fender Rhodes, the electric piano? Do you still have like a ton of gear? Like, what, what yeah, is your... I've, I've still got a lot of keyboards and I've had like five or six different Rhodes, but I've had the current one for a while and I love it. And it's the suitcase style? Uh, I ha- I've had two of those, but no, now I have the Stage 73. Okay, cool. Yeah, so it's kind of inside baseball for non-musicians and I'm not even really a musician, but... I've been a live sound engineer for long enough that I've got like a real appreciation for different gear and, and setups and stuff like that. So, and I love the sound of the Fender Rhodes and, and just kind of talking about keyboard players real quick. Like I've been really listening to a lot of, and I don't know, for some people it's mainstream, but I've been listening to a lot of Stevie and, you know, him playing anything, or I think like, the king of the Fender Rhodes that I I don't know if I'd say king, but like one of my favorite players on it would is Donny Hathaway ripping it. Yeah. Definitely. And then, uh, you know, the clavs and stuff. I, I have a little sample or I've been using um Serato studio just to make little beats and stuff. And I've got like a little MPK. It's like a little, it's a little tiny keyboard, but I've got this uh, Tiki clav plugin and I can't stop fucking with it. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not good at it but i'm on it like constantly like i'll fire up the software and i'll make a little drum pattern or something and i'm like oh yeah and then i'll do like a little bass line and then i'm like oh let me fuck with the clav for a little bit so i've got like 15 tunes that are it's pretty much the same song <laughs> yeah it's fun. <laughs> like, they're fun cloud that's fun it, yeah it's just i can't get enough of that sound my neighbor's like what are you doing over there because i live in a little studio apartment now so they're like what what's going on <laughs> you keep playing the same song over and over again i'm like I'm, i don't know i'm just trying to figure something out yeah. but I'm, it's kind of like a brand new journey to to play that stuff but i listen to so much um soul music and stuff so just kind of knowing which each is sounds like so like the fender roads 
uh, the clav and then, you know, the, your synthesizers and stuff like that. So you, you went, like I said, it, again, kind of like the roundabout way. So I would figure that while you're going on your sampling journey early on, you're probably educating yourself on all this other music, right? Like all the great keyboard players. Yeah. And the history, and, Herbie and Hancock the and, and, you know, even Thelonious Monk, like all the different players throughout history and their different styles and stuff. Definitely. And the Rhodes was the first instrument that was like, I found on the, I forget what the, the magazine was called where they had all the stuff for sale, the recycler, the trader. Yeah. It might've been something, something like that. And whatever it was called in 99, but I found a Rhodes. I lived in OB and I found it for sale by, by the sports arena and I bought it for 300 bucks. Wow. That's a good deal. Yeah. And I mean, that's like, that's a steal today if you can get one that's playing for 300 bucks. Yeah, it's not that's not happening so often these yeah, days. Yeah, probably about a thousand bucks, I think. And then upwards, like a stage 73. I mean, that's not a cheap piece of gear. Um, do you have do you have a wife? What does she think about all, all this equipment? Well, luckily I was into it before I met her, so it just kind of <laughs> came with the package, you know. Yeah, it's like, oh, you have too many keyboards. You're like, oh, all right, well. It was nice knowing you for well for a while we lived in normal heights in a really small place and it was it was seriously like guitar center at the house there was just like gear stacked up any possible place it could could be put <laughs> that's a trip that you were living in ob i went to point loma high school which is right up the street and oh nice i mean i would be in ob constantly so i'm, I'm wondering how many times we've been in the same show or the same space or just kind of uh crossing paths without even really realizing it so uh, that, i'm sure yeah, i'm sure a lot i'm sure a lot because like i said li live music is my whole life and that was like how i ended up doing what i'm doing you know so um yeah so what other projects we're kind of jumping forward but what other projects with this surefire is going on you guys are just kind of gigging around you've got so how many different formations do you have that you're gigging with pre-COVID? Cause I know you were doing the Parada gig and and then you also put a Hammond in an Irish bar. Yeah, yeah, Rosie O'Grady's, we got the Hammond in there and that was insane. That, that really changed things for us here. Um, so we're doing a jam session on Tuesday nights at Rosie's. We're doing uh, the Panama 66 jam. Oh, that's what it was, yeah. Twice, twice a month. Um, have have you been there to Panama sixty six? Yeah, I, I I thought I was gonna catch you guys, but it was a it was another group because I I think you guys switched Sundays or something. Right. Exactly, we do every every other Sunday. Yeah, that's yeah, a it. Cool it was another venue. group, and it, but they were really good. Oh, nice. So, uh, but how many different formations of your of bands and stuff? Like, well, I, I would have uh, try to get as many members of Surefire to do the Panama gig and then we'd have people sit in and then rosie's would be like a, a four-piece version with with other you know other musicians in the backing band but at least three three guys from surefire so um you know you just you some of the some of the gigs depend on 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 money you want to make like 100 bucks a person so you if if, if the gig pays 400 you're gonna have a four-piece band so sure that's, that's, that's usually how big the band is is, is how how well the gig pays <laughs> it makes sense or or how many uh green green kids you can get in you know where you're like oh yeah here you're gonna, you're gonna pay some dues oh yeah well that's what that's what the jam sessions are for is is meeting the people that will eventually be subbing in the band <laughs> or part of it you know i mean besides the the communal aspect of it but yeah you definitely meet a lot of a lot of younger musicians and other cool people around town and how many albums has surefire put out so far yeah we have three full lengths and then we have a fourth and a live record in in the can and that's all forthcoming and that could all be found on bandcamp yeah. right yeah at the at the coal mine at the coal mine records website bandcamp um and is available in most record stores i would say all right so tell me about the first time you came across bobby cressy when when was that? Um, 
it might have just been on the internet and i was like damn this dude this dude's crazy good and i think before i I had even met him in person i hit him up for a lesson i i think that's the way it went down and he came over to my my place or maybe we'd hung out once before then but yeah he came over to my place in normal heights and uh gave me a lesson taught me some things that i think eight years later i'm still using all the time when i solo yeah, for, for the listeners, Bobby Cressy is a, the Padres organist, and I don't think that they could have found a more perfect personality for that gig. Um, yeah, he's killer. And uh, yeah, he's just all around virtuoso. Did you play on his album? No. Okay, yeah, he, he had put out a great record too. So I know that he comes through on that Rosie O'Grady's um, jam session too. So it's, it, before COVID, I was like so stoked to just show up and play there because the bar that I work at in San Francisco, my home bar, Madrone Art Bar, we have a, we have a um, Hammond and a Leslie in the bar and it's not permanently installed. We, we move it, but uh, guys come through and rip it. Um, A guy named Will Blades was playing on it for, I don't know, 12 years, something every Sunday. So it was always fun to, kind of just go through and kick it where the Saturday before I just turned the place out DJ dance party and then it's Sunday night and it's very chill and there's only a handful of people in the place kind of listening to uh you know just organ jazz is really cool yeah yeah it's a it's a it's a cultural phenomenon that is definitely not common in most cities i mean in some in some major cities and maybe in the south but like yeah the hammond era is over unfortunately <laughs> yeah i mean it's got to be impossible to build a an album around that sound and then tour it right because they're they're not even necessarily very uh travel friendly um as far as the being kind of delicate you know well take a road beating you i mean and you don't really want to like hump a hammond around right like it, you'd people, rather go find people, venues that already have it people people do it and they you know they have like their their road organ and I, i'll tell you most guys that do take an organ on the road know how to repair that organ <laughs> yeah they're like <laughs> they're like a straight up organ grinder have you gotten to play the balboa park organ yet oh the pipe organ no no so that's the second largest pipe organ um i think in the united states and the i've worked where the first where the largest pipe organ is and that's at the bohemian grove in monterio where all these like rich republican dudes go and camp every summer and they have this it's enormous it's like mind-blowingly enormous i don't know why they don't run the baboa park organ more often if it's just too much to run it or or why they don't utilize it but it just seems like the pavilion is used for other purposes that that space i would say is very uh, is underused i think they could do an epic concert series there every spring and summer it's, it's just a great great little space there yeah, and, and also the Starlight Bowl was another venue that was like so epic and it's been uh, just kind of left for dead. And I know that there's a group trying to resurrect that that venue as well, but I, I couldn't believe it. I was I was gone, you know, I moved to San Francisco and I hadn't thought about it for a while. And then I'd come back and I was like, what's going on with the Starlight? You know, which is an outdoor amphitheater. It's amazing. And they're like, yeah, it's just overgrown and destroyed and i was like why i don't understand yeah i remember walking around the park and just like stumbling upon it and i was like whoa this looks like hollywood bowl but like a miniature version of it pretty yeah. pretty rad yeah i saw the beastie boys tour check your head there oh, that's that's insane and it was um before the album had come out i think past the mic had come out on mtv mm -hmm. and maybe so what you want so the whole album hadn't dropped yet and I went with Unite and we went to the show and didn't know what to expect. And um, it was uh, it was Cypress Hill House. I think it was Cypress Hill House of Pain and the Beastie Boys. 
Wow. So by the time the Beastie Boys came out, they had all these instruments and we were, they like came out and did something off a of license to ill. And we were like stoked. Then they did, you know, one of the new hits, but either pass the mic or so what you want. And then they all ran to their instruments and started playing punk shit. <laughs> and then they would switch instruments and start playing funk shit. And we were like, what the fuck is going on? And, yeah, that's incredible. And Money Mark was there and Eric Bobo was there. And it, it was just kind of like mind blowing. So that venue had a special place in my heart. And I, I was super sad to see that it had gone that way. Anyways, um, kind of getting back on topic. So that's kind of we I think we've kind of caught up. You got you got albums. Do you have other albums that you've done besides Shorefire, like solo records or or stuff like that that you've been working on? Um, no, no solo records so much. Um did a did a 45 with uh with Bubaza, which came out really nicely, and that's members of uh, LA's Jungle Fire and uh, some Surefire people. And trying to think oh there's a band called mestizo beat out of la which is kind of in the same scene um that, I, that i've been affiliated with and helping record and, and played some keyboards on their record and uh th there's a local group uh rebecca jade and the cold facts that i helped uh write and record the, the first record for them Oh, wow. That's cool. So you're also like arranging and producing for, for the scene for, you know? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And do you have a studio that you're working out of that you want to shout out or have you built your own studio? Where are you doing most the, of this recording? The at? studio is at my house in Lemon Grove. Um, it's called the kitchen Two. It's currently on hiatus due to COVID, but I, I definitely will, will mix or, you know, record keyboard parts remotely here, but I'm just not tracking bands here currently. And you have your sampler set up and your Ableton and all of that stuff. So that's, is that what you've been doing it since COVID started? Just kind of. Yeah. Right, yeah. Writing on Able, writing on Ableton. Um, but, but when we do, you know, when the studio is operational, I've got all the keyboards, got a couple, couple different tape machines and pro tools and, you know, just all the preamps, mics, and outboard gear that I've built up over the last 20 years. That's awesome. So you also, um, this week you, you announced a new label that you started and it's called All Town Sound. And yeah, sure. that, that kind of is what spurned me to ask you to come on. So tell me about All Town Sound. You guys are doing not just jazz and funk stuff and organ music or whatever right um you, it sounds like you guys are gonna be doing all types of releases yeah it's gonna be it's gonna be more more eclectic for sure um probably based around um heavy just I, well how would you describe it just like a Af african-american or, or or afro uh, Latino D D diaspora or, yeah just the, the whole diaspora of African influence African influence music whether it be Caribbean reggae cumbia funk soul um Ethio funk you know just that <laughs> all of it and so so, so yeah. how did how did it come about did, and how did the name come about oh yeah we were, we were trying to figure out a name came up with a, with a bunch of goofy ones and then um we were thinking about like all you know all all city out of like uh, graffiti culture, and um, that was already taken. There's already an all all city sound, but it's it's like a a company in New York. But we're like, what about all town sound? Because it kind of rhymes. So just uh, settled with that. And do you already have a uh, do you already have a roster of artists that you're that you're planning on recording? Do you already have stuff in the can that's ready to get released are you guys releasing vinyl like what's the plan with the with the label we're going to start with 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 45s um and maybe do kind of similar to what the label that surefire is on coal mine records they they would do um you know a bunch of 45s and then and then release like a a double lp compilation of all the a-sides so i'm thinking something similar 
like that to start and then eventually try and get into band, band LPs. And do you already, so do you guys already have this lined up? I mean, are the, are the pins in the lane and just waiting for, for the ball to roll or? Yeah, there's three, there's three that are at the plant. We've got tests for one of them so far. So, um, and yeah, the, the artwork's done and all that. Um, and we're going to keep that un, under, under your hat so people can, can find out when it comes out, right? Yeah. Yeah. We're going to keep it on deal for now. And then the fourth, the fourth one, I'm, we're mixing that one and, yeah, there's I think there's about six that are in in process right now. Six six forty five forty fives. Awesome, man. Well, that sounds really great, man. I appreciate you joining me. And you're still working at so you, what are you teaching music theory at City College? I, I was teaching a history of rock and roll class and also a like early or like, what would you call it? Like a class a classical music history so, so i'm not teaching theory there but just these uh two history classes which are also you know just really really fun to teach especially the rock and roll class because it got me listening to a lot of music that i hadn't listened to in a while yeah that's been uh i don't know i think just having the time um the downtime since the pandemic started i've been like just listening to full albums that I listened to when I was, you know, 30 years ago when I was like 14 years old. And I was like, Oh, I still love this. And it's like all different kinds of stuff. And then finding new stuff is just having all day. My daughter was like, I just want a whole day to listen to music. And I was like, yeah, me too. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, that's, that's kind of what I try to do. Um, So that's rad, dude. That So is coal mine still going to be releasing the surefire stuff or are you going to be moving that over to all town sound as well? Uh, no, we're gonna still we're gonna stay with Coal Mine, and and All Town is actually distrib- distributed by Coal Mine, so so we're still keeping like a a, fam- a relationship. Fa- yeah, family relationship going there, but yeah, Surefire will will stay with Coal Mine. And so, and then, are you also working at? St- are you still at the radio station? You said you started there in 1996 at KPBS. Oh no, I I started there in 2000, 2006. I moved I moved oh. here in ninety seven seven and then eventually my bad my bad no it's all good got to the the radio station in 2006 i worked there for a long time um both you know on staff and then uh doing freelance there i worked on uh uh, some of the npr programs like morning edition and all things considered as well as like the local san diego kind of versions like news magazine shows like npr type type programs and and then i did some some of their tv tv programs which is kind of like pbs news hour type stuff were you able to get music placements in there i did get a few yes (laughs) i'm wondering who's doing um all things considered because i keep hearing like dj shadow like they've been using or like even mf doom instrumentals on the out in and out of all things considered and like i keep or jay dilla and i keep hearing this stuff and i'm like who is this it's like this is one of us yeah it's just people like you and me who are working at these different stations and yeah playing playing what what we think what we think is great music yeah so cool um so we're gonna put all your links in the show description for people that want to like reach out be able to follow along with all town or any of your releases um, I always like to go in and out of the interview with a tune. So I'm sure that I'll signify on the intro, which is which. And I just appreciate the time, man. Are you, are you doing okay? Are your venues that you, are your venues that you're a resident at making it? Like, how's it going as far as not being able to perform for a year? We definitely was a hit on the income, but luckily I have the radio show that I work on and the, and the teaching that I was doing as well as, you know, the, freelance uh, mixing and stuff um but yeah sucks uh, th- this place that i had a monthly dj gig at tiger tiger in north park that place closed down but my, my brother had his uh wedding reception there oh nice yeah it's cool 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 restaurant uh beer spot but uh yeah most of them are gonna make it a lot of people were able to get the the pp ppp loans or or the more recent aid to the venues that came out in the congressional bill specifically targeted at that. So 
um, we lost we lost Bar Pink in North Park. That's another one that closed, which is a yeah, bummer because I would DJ there a lot. Yeah, I used I used to play there with 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 Jake a lot, and they had a, a great scene there for a long time. But uh, Winston's and OB, they they had like you know they closed because just like most venues did, they're not able to like have people in there because they don't serve food and you know indoor uh, dining's closed down anyway. So, but they're they're planning on coming back. That's that's one place that we play a lot is Winston's. Uh, the Casbah is planning on being back. So, um, Panama sixty six is outdoor. It's it's already reopened at at a limited capacity so you're just waiting just waiting for that for that 100 bucks ahead so you can go back <laughs> you're like yeah, yeah i'm gonna need at least 200 bucks guys <laughs> yeah def- definitely don't want to take like a a cut in the pay but uh, but also like for me i want to be vaccinated my wife vaccinated want to figure out make sure my my little girl's gonna be you know protected as well make sure i'm not like getting covid and bringing it home yeah i feel that i've been you know i i think i was there's certain days where i'm like itching to like rock a room you know more than others but i think now that it's been a year that i'm kind of like eh, if it comes it comes you know but i've been also lucky to land on my feet doing other things so it's uh I miss it, but I'm not in a huge rush to like go back to it. And you know, the hustle and grind. I hope that the that the culture of relationships between certain types of venues and musicians, performers, DJs, et cetera, um, that culture can kind of evolve a little bit to to where there's a little bit more equity in uh what's happening, you know? I'm really yeah. kind of in- interested in that. Yeah, I I I agree with that hundred percent. So cool, man. Well, thanks so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. Um, we'll put all the links in the show description and uh, I'll be keeping an ear out and, you know, pushing out whatever you guys are doing through the, been doing this platform. Well, thank you. Yeah. I appreciate this conversation. You asked great questions and gave me an opportunity to talk about a lot of stuff I've never really talked about in, in an interview before. So thank you. Yeah. Cool, man. I appreciate it. Thanks. All right. Take care.